Hello, welcome. You're listening to Feed, Play, Love, a bite-sized parenting podcast, a place you can find advice, understanding and support as you care for your small humans. I'm Siobhan Hunt. Does your child snore? If they do, is it a sign that they have sleep apnea? Professor Sarah Blunden is a paediatric sleep specialist from the Sleep Health Foundation, and she's here to talk to us about sleep apnea. Hi, Sarah. How are you? Hi there. How are you? Good, thank you. What exactly is sleep apnea? Sleep apnea is the word that we use for the closing up of the upper airway, the respiratory system, while we sleep. So an apnea means stop. It's when the breathing stops because the upper airway closes over and the air can't get through. That's what sleep apnea actually is. And is snoring a sign, a potential sign of sleep apnea? Snoring is certainly a sign of sleep apnea. Snoring is the sign of the upper airway vibrating with effort to get the air through from the lungs, uh, out from the air into the lungs and around the body. So that effort that the body goes through is the sound of snoring. And that's because the upper airway, which does a lot of the work and through which the air travels and the oxygen, of course, if that's a floppy airway, which is one of the causes of sleep apnea, and there are several causes, but one of the causes is a floppy upper airway. So that effort of the air going through makes the airway floppier and it makes it rattle with energy, if you like. <laughs> so snoring is an indication that the upper airway is not very happy is the way I, des- I describe it. That is the most poetic way anyone has ever described snoring to me. <laughs> <laughs> so um, is it fairly unusual for children to snore? It's Snoring is about, and this would be school-aged children, about 15% of children, the last time I looked at the literature, snore, which is actually quite a lot of kids. Mm. Of those 15%, only about 1.5 or 2% actually have sleep apnea because snoring is a sign of sleep apnea, but it doesn't necessarily mean that the upper airway is closing up, which is what an apnea actually is, but it is an indication that might be on the cards. What are some other signs that might indicate sleep apnea? There will be, well, sleep apnea, when the upper airway closes, when the upper airway closes, which is, a, which is an apnea, the air can't get through from the lungs to the brain and therefore the oxygen is not getting through from the lungs to the brain. So therefore this is not a good state for the body and the brain to be in while you're sleeping. Fortunately, we have a defense mechanism that wakes us up if oxygen levels drop too low in our bodies and we wake up and we gasp for breath, so we take a big breath and off we go again. And if, we, if this happens several times overnight, we'll be doing this a lot. So we, the signs of that in the nighttime and the daytime, clearly there's snoring. There's also multiple wake-ups overnight. There is gasping for breath overnight when that breath finally gets taken Waking in the morning, we're often tired, even though we maybe have been in bed for a long time. We haven't had a good quality sleep because it's restless and it's, it's very wakeful. So our sleep is not good quality. and We wake up even though we've had time in bed, we're still tired. So daytime sleepiness is a, also a sign of sleep apnea because our sleep is not good. Often, uh, and this is particularly more in older 
children and older, uh, maybe teenagers, you'll wake with a headache because your body's been working hard. Um, you might wake up with a dry mouth because often sleep apneics breathe through their mouths because sometimes the apnea is because of the upper airway and the nasal morphology and the jaw morphology. So we sleep with our mouths open, that dries our mouth up and we'll wake up with a dry mouth. So all these are kind of indications are, are there, is there a cluster of symptoms here and do I need to look at to see whether I have sleep apnea? And with children, what kind of impact can it have on them? Obviously, they're not getting enough sleep. I'm guessing that, well, I have children, so if they don't get enough sleep, they're often very cranky during the day. It can seem like they're mucking up all the time. In, a, in terms of their health, what kind of impact does sleep apnea have on a child? Sleep apnea has quite significant impacts on all of those who have it. And as a child in a developing brain, it is even more consequential. And I think that it's important to note that sleep apnea, which is the complete closure of the upper airway, and that's the most serious. There are other versions of that that are also serious in children. About 15 years ago, when I completed my PhD, I did my PhD in upper airway um, sleep disordered breathing, we thought that sleep apnea in children was only consequential when the, when the upper airway closed over completely. We now know that that doesn't have to be a complete closure. In fact, we now know it doesn't have to be a closure at all. It just has to be quite a loud snore or sometimes even just a mouth breathe. So we now have to realise that there is a, a spectrum of severity of upper airway unhappiness that starts from a light snore to a more severe snore to what we call a hypopnea, which is a half closure, to a full apnea. Now, depending on how severe the upper airway problem is depends on the consequences that happen to this child. But the consequences fall into, th- into really two main areas. There will be psychological consequences, consequences. There will be psychological, neuropsychological and physiological consequences to sleep apnea or to upper airway breathing problems overnight, depending on the severity. That would start from a physiological issue might be, as I said, poor sleep. Poor sleep leads to, and we know this now, leads to more likelihood of putting on weight, more likelihood of getting sick, more likelihood of um, developing in the long term um, uh, immune system dysfunction and uh, endocrine problems such as diabetes. This is on a long-term basis. On a, on a neuropsychological level, what happens when we don't sleep, as you mentioned, we don't get enough rest. Our brain doesn't get enough rest. Our brain needs to recharge overnight. It needs to consolidate memories. It needs to consolidate knowledge and information. So without good sleep, we don't remember well. We don't concentrate the next day because we're tired. If we don't remember and can't concentrate, our learning is compromised. We do have people with sleep apnea that have lower IQs for that reason. They have more likelihood of showing behaviours such as hyperactivity because the brain the sections of the brain that needs the most sleep, which is the prefrontal cortex, also regulates behaviour, mood and learning. And so the prefrontal cortex can't cope with less sleep and then starts to overreact. Children are more frustrated, they're more aggressive, they're more impulsive, they're more hyperactive, they're more inattentive. And all of that leads to learning problems, performance difficulties. 
So the impact of sleep apnea on children is really quite significant. How do you treat sleep apnea? Unfortunately, in children, the fortunately or unfortunately, the treatment for sleep apnea in children is usually in large tonsils or adenoids and a, a surgery to remove the tonsils and adenoids in 80, maybe 85% of cases does the trick and allows the upper airway to be happy and let the air flow um, as it should be. In, uh, so that's a surgical procedure and it's not undertaken lightly and it's not undertaken in young children. There are, for some children, particularly those with um, either uh, challenge, extra challenges, children with global developmental delay or children with Down syndrome, for example, have um, a high incidence of sleep apnea because of morphological changes in their upper airway system. Um, and there are CPAP machines. These are machines that you can put over your nose and mouth that help the upper airway to stay open by pushing down air down the, down the throat of the, um, of the child. They're not very pleasant and they don't have a great success rate in children, but they are very, very effective in those children that don't respond to traditional um, tonsils, and, uh, tonsils and adenoid surgery. There are also some nasal cannulators that you can put in. There's a whole range of other things. And there is now also depending on where the problem uh, of the upper airway is, it might be the nose, that might be a sinus operation, it might be a nasal spray, it might be the morphology of the, of the mouth, and that might be some sort of dental um, uh, device that can move and adjust the jaw, or it might be the machine, or it might be surgery. With children... They, if you look, I look at my daughter's tonsils, they look huge Um, and she's still small. And I could think to myself, oh, well, as she grows, her mouth will get bigger, her throat will get bigger and maybe her tonsils won't be so massive anymore. What's the consequence of that for children? I mean, I'm assuming a child can't grow out of sleep apnea or can they? That's a very good question. Um, to answer your question about the tonsils, does, your, does, does the child grow into or out of them? They kind of do. Snoring is very common between the ages of two and four because the morphology of the jaw is growing differentially to the upper airway, as you suggest. So the upper airway hole at the back of the throat, if you like, is smaller compared to what it will be as they get older. So sometimes there is some developmentally appropriate snoring. If the tonsils are huge and this is accompanied by some snoring, accompanied by some fatigue, accompanied perhaps by some behavioural manifestations in the day and uh, usually accompanied by increased incidences of tonsillitis, then that would not be something that the child would go out of and it would be something that would um, ring alarm bells for me, certainly. Professor Sarah Blunden, thank you so much for speaking with us today. That's my pleasure. That's Professor Sarah Blunden. She's a paediatric sleep specialist from the Sleep Health Foundation. Feed, Play, Love is a babyology podcast produced by Debbie Ning and presented by me, Siobhan Hunt. We'd love to hear from you. So if you'd like to get in touch, email us at feedplaylove at theparentbrand.com.au. See you next time.